Hi, everybody, and welcome to Invested. I'm Danielle Town. We're going to have one from the vault today for you. This one's interesting because it relates to the, tangentially, I agree, but it relates to the artificial intelligence work that we've been doing and hopefully getting into how we can do better research. So enjoy, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody, and enjoy your practice. Bye. This is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast, where we are learning to invest like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and (laughs) like the best investors in the world are doing, which is very different than what you're learning from your financial advisor. From your financial advisor, you're learning that you cannot invest on your own, that it's really rocket science, that in order to invest properly, you have to buy hundreds, if not thousands of stocks through ETFs, indexes, and very diversified mutual funds. You have to scatter your money across many, many different kinds of things, and then you're protected from the ups and downs of the market, which is all true. Well, not true exactly. You're not protected from the downs of the market and the ups of the market. You're gonna still go through a lot of volatility, but what is true is that you will probably in the long run do pretty darn good. That is true. Wait a second, I, I got so lost. In the long run of me investing on my own or the long run of my financial advisor doing things for me? In the long run of your financial advisor, your robo-advisor, or doing it yourself, investing in broadly diversified, lots of different asset groups. Ah, I will probably do okay. You'll probably do okay, but you have to be the long run. You have to be the long run. And the long run is longer than you think. It's a long, long run. How long Um, is the long run, Dad? Well, in the last 100 years, the long run has turned out to be ballpark, uh, sometimes 25 years uh, before you break even. That's not as long as I thought you were going to say. Well, that's that's to break even on your investments if you did it at just the wrong time. Like, let's say you put your money in the market in, oh, late 1928, early 1929. You broke even by 1955. You put your money in the market in 1965. You broke even by 1983. Hmm. You have, I love how you just have those dates at the ready in the forefront of your mind. I do. I do because Take I've been on TV skills. so many times arguing with these experts these, <laughs> where they're telling me there's never been a time when the market didn't go up over an eight-year period and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, statistics can be marvelous to play with. And they're all defending the status quo, which is give us your money. We're going to make $100 billion in commissions on it and uh, have the use of it while you get, uh, I don't know, 7% a year or so, maybe on the average. And you know what? 7% a year, I'll double your money every 10 years. So it's not so horrible. It's not terrible. And if you're not going to learn how to invest, it's the only real game in town. So they're right. And that's why Warren Buffett says they're right. You know, Mm -hmm. buy an index fund. That's what he's advising his his, uh, future uh, the the legacy of his financial success to be invested as a as an index, but there's a reason for that, and that's because they've you got lots of money. If you got lots of money, of course you can do that. Of course yeah. you can do that. So I urge yeah. you to have a lot of money first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, then, listen. Speaking of oh, go ahead and then well, and then follow the advice of your very astute financial advisor who works for you know. Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or J.P. Morgan or Goldman, follow their advice because you have lots of money and their job and they do it well is to protect that as those assets 
and you will have even more money down the road. They but take they're you not going to fancy talk lunches. They oh, yeah. maybe take you to corporate events. Oh, it's you're... so lovely. You guys yeah. are such good friends. Yes. You'll have a golf partner for life. You... <laughs> <laughs> and they will do you well. And and more and more these, you know, if you have money, the financial services industry is marvelous. They're going to help you with your trust. They're going to help you with your will. They're going to help you with managing the the. Uh, the, the uh, capital transition from one generation to the next to minimize taxes. They are so good at all that stuff. And I applaud them and we need them. I need them. <laughs> you don't Great. need them. No, I don't, I don't need them. I don't need them. So I was watching the end of the Formula One season recently for all those who don't follow Formula One. It's car racing, isn't just, you know, high end car racing. Um, and there was this like former champion who was there at the last race of the season who was being interviewed on British TV. And the second they got to him, he goes, I'm here for a corporate event for UBS, which is a fantastic place to put your money. I mean, these guys just paid UBS, just paid this former champion <laughs> to be their <laughs> shill <laughs> and like be the guy who all their clients were so excited to come see. Like this is what these banks spend their money on is corporate events, bringing in the clients. It's the only way to differentiate themselves from other very similar banks, very similar strategies. Yeah, and you don't really see UPS at the NASCAR races all that much. Well, it's a Swiss <laughs> bank. So yeah, they focus on the European <laughs> clientele. I sort of think, okay, fair enough. But you also don't see JP Morgan at the NASCAR races all that much. I mean, you just don't see those guys out there where, you know, people have less than $100,000 to invest because they don't want your money. And the reason they don't want your money is because that isn't going to make their advisor a living managing people's money that don't have enough. So this all this advice to do everything the financial services industry is wound up ready to do, all of what Wall Street's excited about, is really for people with money. And if you don't have money, guess what? That idea that they can just, you know, diversify your little portfolio of $10,000 and hey, you know, put away your $6,000 a year in your IRA and invest it at 7% and look at what you'll have in in uh, 30 years. You will have enough money to be completely broke in retirement by age 75. Or you could put your money in Bitcoin three weeks ago when we were talking about it and you would now have more money than you did three weeks ago because Bitcoin, since we last gave it so much publicity, so I consider it to be the invested podcast effect, has gone up to, I think it hit 10,000. It hit a new high. It was nine, I know, and I don't know if it got to 10 quite. It hit a, it hit a new high. And but all oh of our my Bitcoin gosh. friends, we want to way, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I did want to say about our Bitcoin episodes, first of all, Bitcoin went up. Second of all, we actually... We, we promoted our expert Steve coming on saying that we had said some things wrong. But I think actually Steve said that we basically got everything right, except we mischaracterized how China had outlawed data mining, because I right. guess they didn't. But right. otherwise, we totally got this whole cryptocurrency thing, like no problem. We did. So your advice to invest in cryptocurrency, I think, is astonishingly excellent. And um, oh no, and I'm not advising that. Oh, you're not. You're not advising. No. That? You I was saying if I was saying if you did three weeks ago, you would now have more money than you did three weeks ago. You would have a lot more money, although you might not have it tomorrow. So the True. 
the in, and what we argue here on this podcast is that investing is very specific. And Danielle and I don't necessarily agree, but I don't really think that putting your money across 500 things you don't understand is investing at all. I think you're abdicating uh, the investment process and you're speculating that whatever you're putting money in will go up because you don't understand it and therefore you don't know what it's worth. So when you're putting your money broadly across, you know, oh, let's go buy some real estate. Let's go buy some stocks. Let's go buy some gold. You don't know what you're doing. And fair enough, you don't. So diversify across everything. That's what your advisor is good at telling you how to do. And you rock and roll to whatever you get. But okay. if you want to get rich, that ain't the way to do it. Yeah, I agree with what you said, that it's abdicating and it's speculating. So what I would like to know today, and this is in response to some listener questions, is how do we further drill down on what specific companies to look at? So I was thinking to myself about this yes. the other day. What? How do I personally drill down on what specific companies to look at? And it entered my mind something that Phil Town often says, which is, Look at the gurus. Look at what other investors who you respect. Guy's so smart. I know. It's like, let's get him on this podcast. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> For those of you who aren't sure what just happened, I'm Phil Town. I just wanted to remind you, <laughs> my daughter isn't sure I'm here occasionally. Yeah, so yeah. I am here. And you're right. This is a tried and true and maybe my favorite, favorite way to find really, really great investing opportunities. And it's important we think about what the best investors are doing right now because it's so bloody hard to do this kind of investing on your own. Don't kid yourself. It's simple. But in this market, the one we're in right now in 2000, at the end of 2017, this stock market is a raging bull. That means it's roaring upward, 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 setting new records all the time. That the more that happens, the less relation there is to the price of stocks in the market and their ultimate long-term cash flow. In other words, you're paying more and more for the same uh, uh, investment cash. And that means the prices are going into a bubble. Now, nobody knows where in bubbles will stop, but they always do. And when they mm -hmm. do, the bigger they got, the worse they crash. So we are in the ninth or 10th year of, I guess some people say nine, I would say the beginning of 10 coming up, um, of a bull market, which means the market has gone straight up uh, ever since the crash in 2009, with a little bit of a dip in 2011, and as a result of the Greek bond issue. Um, but it's been basically straight up ever since. And that means we are uh, now entering that portion of the market where Everybody knows stocks will go up forever. You can get tips from your taxi driver and your Uber driver. Mm -hmm. um, everybody's got an idea about what you should be investing in. And ultimately... Everybody's excited about Bitcoin. And everybody's excited about Bitcoin. That's another really, really exciting bubble. You know, Although nobody knows if it's a bubble because nobody has a clue what Bitcoin is worth. Right. It's a it's a risky portion of the market. And the thing is, is everybody's excited about it. It's like, oh, it's going up. It's going down. It's it's part of this whole bubble psychology. The market's interesting. It's a place where you can make money. This is something new. And, you know, how should we get in on it and how do we get in on it? It's just it's all together. I know. And everybody's looking at it. I mean, it's everybody's trying to make money and trying to get out of being uh, in a financial straitjacket. Is, is a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin. 
And it's not investing, it's just speculation. And if you're a good gambler, you might be able to do very well with Bitcoin. You might be able to use some signals or something and get in and out. But we're investing. That's what we're trying to teach you here, is how to invest. And I gotta tell you, this kind of market, Danielle, is so dangerous for investors. This is where you separate you know, the rubber from the road, so to speak. You've gotta have, by the way, what does that even mean? I don't know. Separate the rubber from the road? Yeah. It's like Isn't it's it something a, to do with tires. It's tires. Okay, so we're gonna, I don't even know why that's a saying. So we're gonna separate the rubber from the road. And what that means is that- I love that you're thinking deeply about this. Yeah. What does it mean? <laughs> what, it, what it means to separate the rubber, what it means to be an investor right now is to be very patient and to really, really stay humble and realize that eventually this market will turn. Um, also, there are things that go on sale in every market. You have to just hope that it comes into your neck of the woods where you are very comfortable and understand what's going on. But man, I'll tell you, it's tough. So we, yeah, which we is why I look to the other investors for exactly. help, exactly. because it is tough. And yet I sat there on my couch with my laptop in front of me and realized I, I mean, I'd done it with you a few times, but I sort of didn't know quite who to look at. I didn't know quite where to look, and I didn't know quite how to interpret what I was reading. So I, if it's okay with you, would like to go through that maybe for the next, you know, till we're done, because I think it's, it's advice that you give quite often, and some details could be really helpful. Okay, so how did you, well, first off, I don't go to the SEC to get this data. What did, what did you do? So I, of course, went to the SEC to get this data <laughs> because, because I like to get things from the source. And the SEC's um, uh, search website for all of their corporate filings is called EDGAR. Now, EDGAR's a little confusing and there's even a tutorial on their website of how to use EDGAR. By the way, the I'm, gonna start, thing, I'm, I'm gonna start into this just to save you some time, everybody who's listening. Don't even bother to go to EDGAR. I'm just gonna tell you that right now. You have to be a lawyer to go to EDGAR. Totally bother going to EDGAR, although I will amend that statement in a few minutes. But in general, when it comes to like annual reports and quarterly filings, totally bother going to EDGAR. That's where things come from. That is the source. Go to the source. If and all you, you have love to do government interfaces. Go all to you have to do to search for things is make sure you add the proper you're gonna last the proper hyphen in the proper location. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget the proper hyphen or you'll Some be sitting in a screen that doesn't do what you want. Skills and others of us do not. Oh, you know God. what? We're all different. We're all we're all snowflakes. Hey, we're at the halfway point of this episode, and I want to take a second to invite you guys over to investedpodcast.com. On that site, you can continue the conversation, and you can get our show notes. And I also have a special offer for my podcast listeners right there on the site. So head over there, and we hope you're enjoying the podcast. Now back to Invested. <laughs> so listen, so I went to the Edgar website, and I put in 13F filings. These filings from other investors, um, are called 13-F filings. By the way, we're not all snowflakes. I just had uh, a meeting with General John Brennan, and I want to make a shout out to, to John and his family over Thanksgiving. John is uh, the deputy commander of 101st Airborne, but he is no kind of snowflake. This guy is hardcore, amazing, former uh, 
his his resume reads um, working with unnamed group for years. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> and John has medals on his chest that I've never seen before. So I mean. I, I just want to say, and he's a student of ours. And John has really worked hard to learn to invest, and uh, and uh, he led the the whole U.S. mission joint operation into Syria a couple of years ago. The guy's a superstar, and just wanted to say thank you for your service, John, if you're listening. And general, uh, we appreciate he's a general. Sacrifices. Yeah, he's a general. General Brennan, thank you. And I'm sure that General Brennan would know to put the hyphen in the appropriate place <laughs> on the Edgar Search website. <laughs> So nope. go ahead. Yes, he would, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, so I put in 13F. I got some filings back. I wanted to find Warren Buffett because I thought, well, that's where we always start. I'll start with Warren Buffett. So I put in Berkshire Hathaway uh, 13F. And I got back a 13F filing that was pretty recent. And I looked at it and I realized this was not actually useful information to me because it said what they owned, but it was quite frankly, as I'm sure you'll agree, it was really confusingly laid out. And that's just because of the filing structure, I'm sure. Um, but I just, I couldn't tell what was happening. Like I couldn't tell if they were buying these things new, if they had owned these things for a while and they just bought more or if they were selling, like I couldn't tell what was happening from one filing to the next. And I realized that now I'm going to amend my statement, which is... <laughs> Secondary sources are helpful in this regard. And it's what do you think, Dad? Do you agree with that? It's because it's because the government doesn't. I, I don't know why it is that they can't build a website that's easy to use, but they well, didn't in this case. They're and not trying to. All they're, they're doing is to. putting out the filings for public consumption, and that's it. And they're not trying to provide us with, uh, you know, a timeline of what people are doing. Or and anything. that is the key thing that you just mentioned when it comes to. Um, understanding what someone's doing in their portfolio, it's you have to know the timeline because yeah. you have to know if someone is just adding an itty bitty bitty bit more or if this is the first time they've come into this company, which would be huge difference information. Um, you have to know whether they've been selling, whether they, you know, how many shares they're owning. All of this kind of stuff is timeline oriented, so it's sort of right. valuable if you get the whole picture. And that's it's really what amazing sources do. Right. And it was it was a it was a good reminder to me that even though we talk about a lot of stuff and I, you know, it's like math class. It's like you follow or a language class or something. It's like you follow along and you're going along and you're nodding along in class and then you go home and you have to explain it to somebody else or actually do it. And it's like, oh, I actually don't have this at all. <laughs> <laughs> like doing it is completely different than following along with somebody else or just talking about it. So and, it was a good little little like check for me. And, I, and believe me, I'm, I'm pretty confident that, you know, the gurus who have to file, you know, there's a really powerful, a lot of them really powerful, really wealthy. And I'm quite confident that they're, they're urging the SEC to continue to make it a a labyrinth to go through to get that information and compile it because they really don't want you knowing what they're doing. They, it's, they wouldn't file this stuff voluntarily. They're being forced oh, to do no. it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a real huge advantage to us and a huge disadvantage to them um, to know what they're doing. And the reason it's so useful um, and such a disadvantage to these big guys is that they usually can't take a position all at once. They have to, they're, they're so large, they're buying a lot of stock 
um, a lot of ownership of that company and they have to do it over time. And that means that they might be buying into this company for a year. And when you say when you say they're large, you mean they're they're just literally like using so much money, yes. like buying so many shares of stock with so much money that why can't they just pile it all in in one day? Well, because let's say you went to the grocery store and you were a big enough buyer of, let's say, cantaloupes that you would go to the grocery store and take all of their cantaloupes that they had available that day. And you mm -hmm. did that every single day. You, you walked in and you just bought every cantaloupe these guys had because you're trying to buy more cantaloupes than the store gets in a, in a month. Okay, so the volume yeah. of a stock is the amount of cantaloupes being sold every day. That's called volume in the stock market. And there's a limited amount of volume before it starts to become clear that somebody's buying a lot of this stock. Somebody's buying a lot of cantaloupes. And oh, because people are tracking the purchases and sales. Yeah, they're tracking the volume. Essentially real time as exactly. we go. Exactly. Right. They've even got computer tools that track the volume. And when there's a spike in volume, it's a big, huge giant flag that says that, whoa, big guys are in here buying this stock. And that means the speculators are going to jump in and start buying the stock with the big guys, driving the stock price up, just like what would happen in the grocery store with the cantaloupes. The store would go, wow, these are really good cantaloupes. Get some more, get more in here every day because we're selling the heck out of these. So we'll raise the price. And that's mm -hmm. exactly what happens in, in the stock market as well. So they have to buy small amounts. They have to keep the volume reasonably uh, on average. Um, and they and that means they're buying in quietly. You know, and it's so weird when you watch the market, how these guys might be buying literally like Buffett recently, re recently bought um, 42 million shares of Apple. OK, but quietly over, you know, buying 400 shares, 400 shares, 400 shares, 400 shares. That's a lot of 400 share purchases to add yeah. up to 42 million. And so he'll hire a broker who will go in and quietly start acquiring a position in this company over many, many months. So, Well, is it many, many months, though, because of these filings that they have to do? So is it really over four months? Because if they start at the beginning of the quarter and knowing that it's or maybe it's five months because there's little delay between the filing and when the information is published. Well, the quarters are three months, right? So you've got 90 days there. Oh, math. <laughs> three months. <laughs> <laughs> Three months in a quarter, four quarters in a year. So you have 90 days there where they don't have a reporting requirement. And then there's a lag time of about a month before they have to actually file it. Yeah, and that's what I meant by four months. That's four months. So you were dead on. Yeah, I was totally on. Dead on. But that's four months of buying. So if you got to buy 42 million shares, that's 10 million shares a month, as opposed to 40 million shares in a day. Right. So yeah. if you're spreading it across 10 million shares a month, that's about 3 million shares a day. And if Apple is, uh, is that right? No. Uh, 10 million shares a month is about 300,000 shares a day. And Apple volume will absorb that very easily. So you wouldn't mm. really notice if you were just consistently mm. doing it over time. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole different game. You and I don't have to worry about that. Um, no, but, but I disagree. We totally to have to. Yeah, we. T I mean, we don't have to worry about it in our own buying, right. but we totally have to think about it when it comes to this idea of taking ideas, taking inspiration, taking knowledge, taking wisdom from other investors who are 
publicly filing their purchases. So I think there's a way to do this that's easier than the SEC because yeah. they're just, they just, you'd have to compile your own database. And the reason I know it's hard to do it with the SEC is because I hired some programmers to build a tool that will go to the SEC, grab all that data, bring it back, stick it on our website at rule1investing.com, and then you can, that was a shameless plug, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's compiled for the 46 gurus that I really like, and there's thousands of gurus, so I'm, I picked 46 that I really, really like, um, but having plugged my site, I will give equal time to other sites, including Dataroma, which is free, which is awesome. Mm. There's about, I don't know, 75 or 80 gurus being tracked on Dataroma. Um, Charlie Tian runs a site called, and a shout to Charlie, hi Charlie, uh, a shout out there to Guru Focus, which charges about $300 a year. And you can get some data immediately for free. Um, and they track everybody. They track all the mutual funds. They track everybody there is out there. Um, mm. So you've got to know when you're looking at somebody buying the stock that you need to understand whether they're a rule one type investor or they just buy something of everything, right? Which would be no clue at all. So you got to know who you're looking at. Um, but those are all good sites. Um, are there more that you've run into? Uh I found one um, that's called holdingschannel.com, oh. and all they do is is follow these filings and report them and compare them. That's they it. They don't. They don't get. Yeah, as far as I can tell. I mean, I've I've clicked around on it a bit. I haven't gotten requested to be to buy anything yet. There's another one called whalewisdom.com. Whale, whale like the animal. Like the animal, like the big guys, right? Instead of guru, they're whales. Um, okay. But again, the, these guys are tracking everything. So the, the two websites that I know of that track a focused number of really good investors are my website at Rule One Investing and Dataroma. Dataroma is free and they're, they're quite good, they're accurate, and it's all right there. So I would not bother trying to figure out Edgar. That's an exercise in frustration. And at the end of the day, um, as you said, it's a good place to go get up filings, like, you know, but you can get those everywhere too. Um, but it's not the right place to go when you're trying to get a timeline on stuff. Yeah. It's miserable. Yeah. Plus I you think have to that's know exactly really... what they're buying. I mean, we spend right. a lot of money trying to get this data accurate. So I, I'm going to encourage you to go use a compiled data set. It's much, much easier to use. So, yeah. And I'll just add on that quickly. Uh, I mean, if we're not going to use the primary source, which is the SEC, I would always try at least, and it's going to be a little harder with this timeline tracking thing, but I would try to make sure the numbers are correct by looking at more than one secondary source. So yeah, if you use, idea. you know, Dataroma, also use rule1investing.com or if you, you know, whatever, use, use two or three of them. Just check them out before you take any serious actions. Now, there's one more thing about um, watching what these great investors are doing um, that they have to file about, and that is... They have to file quarterly on what their portfolio looks like, the changes in their portfolio. But they also have to file within 48 hours if they buy or sell something where they own more than 5%. So this is a really important uh, thing to know because the market's going to jump. If, if somebody owns 10% of a company and then starts to sell aggressively and they have to report it within 48 hours, believe me, if you own that thing, you want to know that's happening. There's something going on. So when Buffett starts to sell IBM, he's got to report, you know. So <clears throat> you great want to point. keep track. Yeah, really yeah great track. point. 
Um, so, so what I'd love to do coming up, mm. and now that we've sort of covered the basics of how you get this information, is how do we use it so that it's not just following somebody just, oh, they, they bought Blinded. some, I'm going to buy some too. Yeah. How do you get wisdom from what they're doing rather than just copying them? Okay, so the first wisdom, and we'll, well talk about this in the next web, uh, yeah. next, next podcast, but here's the thing I wanted to say is that <clears throat> you give yourself a tremendous advantage by looking over the shoulder of great investors. There's no question about that. Uh, UNLV did a study on looking over Buffett's shoulder and buying stocks when he bought them, when it became public that he was buying them, on, and you bought them on the last day of the month at the worst price of that day. If you'd done that for 30 years starting in 1976, you would have compounded money at some huge rate of return. I can't remember now what it was. It's about 20%. And you would have become very, very wealthy. So you're going to give yourself an advantage by following the guru filings. Now, let's get more focused and figure out, do we understand that business? Is this something we should be buying? How would we know if they're buying a company and shorting a different company in that same industry? Exactly. You know, I mean, I have some issues with the idea of just following these yeah, people. That's a, big, that's a big problem. So let's do that next time. Sounds right. good. Until then, I think it's time to go play. See ya. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information or to listen to additional episodes, visit our website at investedpodcast.com and sign up for my virtual workshop right there. Spots are definitely limited for this event. I'm not kidding. They really are. They sell out very quickly. So everything discussed on this podcast, by the way, is either my opinion or it's Danielle's opinion. And really important, it's not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your financial advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. So remember that. You're on your own here. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only. And I really hope you enjoyed it.